0: The name of this
1: village is a statement about badgers
0: and what they do. They drift. Drift (laughs) is not a noun, it's a verb.
1: I'm barely controlling my excitement. I have so much good stuff.
0: Hey, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs, (laughs) a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love.
1: If your kids can handle the show, they can handle the podcast.
0: If they can handle heads popping off. (laughs)
1: Goes Harvey's head, (laughs) and then it bounces. Boing, boing, boing.
0: It does.
1: I thought Scott was going to kick it. I thought so too. We're getting ahead of ourselves. We are. (laughs) I'm too excited.
0: Okay, announcements. Right off the top. Yes, We, uh, we have a new Twitter follower. We do. We do. Guess
1: who it is? Guess. Um. No, I'm letting them guess. Okay. They're guessing right Guess.
0: now. Okay. No, better, better,
1: better. It's Neil.
0: Neil Dungeon has followed us on the Twitters.
1: Dungeon, not dungeon. Neil Dungeon. Say his name right or i will <laughs> stop following us.
0: <laughs> Never mind. We're going to get into how badgers drift. <laughs> <laughs> like Tokyo drift. Yes. Hi, uh, Neil. Hi, Neil. Thanks for listening.
1: Maybe you listen if you're following us. Maybe I can if pretend that you ever want to probably... be on a
0: podcast from Bloomington, Indiana, we're your best bet.
1: Yeah. We'd be happy to have you.
0: Absolutely.
1: We'll accommodate your schedule.
0: Uh, he's very active on Twitter, and he is uh, very political on Twitter.
1: Cool. Good for if him. You have,
0: if you haven't followed him.
1: But you got a voice, you ought to use it. Yeah.
0: He has no problem using his voice.
1: Good for him.
0: Yep. Absolutely.
1: We also, up at the top, have the official Midsummer Global Top 50 list.
0: Yes, for number, this week. Number 22, Dark Autumn, Season 4, Episode 5. Mm-hmm. Great episode. 21, The Ballad of Midsummer County, Season 17, Episode 3. That's where the guy gets thrown in the eels.
1: Ooh. Yeah. Or, is he, or does he get drowned in a bowl of eels?
0: Something about eels.
1: Head first yeah. into a bowl of eels, yeah.
0: 20, Birds of Prey, season six, episode five, that we already covered. 19 is the Sword of Guillaume. Not only is it both Barnabys in the same episode. Not only. Does it have a headless guy? But they go to the seaside. They go to the seaside and Mark Gattis is in it. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great episode. Oh, good. Yep. Country Matters, season nine, episode six. It's where all the housewives are hookers. Yep. Uh, which is one of the ones I'm looking forward to. Escorts. Kind of, I love, oh, sorry, escorts. I like that episode. And the Creeper, number 17.
1: Is that the one where they break into Joyce and Tom's house? Yes. That freaks her out.
0: Oh, It freaks Joyce out.
1: Understandably so. But they broke
0: into the superintendent's house, too.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That means it's really important that they get something fixed. And the creeper
0: has nothing to do with the case.
1: No. Nope. He's a red herring creeper.
0: I think that's the one that has, uh, does it have Rick Mayall in it? So this is season eight, episode eight, Midsummer Rhapsody.
1: Scott's last episode.
0: I had forgotten how bonkers crazy this episode is. Yes. I'm always trying to remember what episode is the guy who gets falls off the bridge. I thought about this like two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. It's this episode. And then I was thinking, well, then what's the episode about the guy who loses his head while he's on the motorcycle? Also, this episode. Yes, I thought they were both chocolate box episodes The chocolate box episode. Uh, no, where it's um, easy to get them. Yeah, no, this is a completely different episode. This
1: episode is so wiki wacky with the way the plot goes. I don't even think we can go through it chronologically because it would be too tedious to do it.
0: Okay, let me get some stuff out first. Filmed February and March of two thousand five, which is problematic on its own. October 5th, 2005, uh, October 2nd, 2005 is when it was broadcast, 6.97 million viewers. Richard Halthouse directed it, and Richard Cameron, the dicks, wrote it. But it's
1: it. set in March.
0: It is set in March.
1: Because Peggy and Charlie are going to get married on March 5th. Yes. And we're talking about, like, seven days leading up to that.
0: Yes. Basically. Okay. We need to get three things out of the way
1: first. Okay.
0: This episode does not know if it's snowing or not at any given time.
1: And I sympathize with that. I mean, you know, the weather is fickle, and you got to roll with it. Yeah. Right? They
0: they had to use maybe the first use of CGI. There is
1: some CGI snow in there. But there's also some real snow.
0: Second of all, sweet Jesus, there are too many characters in this episode. There are a lot. We get... We get sometimes we get episodes where like three or four people die and there's only two people left who are yeah. murderer, <laughs> right? On the page in the magazine for this episode, there are fifteen people.
1: Yeah, that's a lot. Three
0: of them die.
1: Yeah, there's usually only like eight or nine.
0: Yeah, there's usually only eight or nine. There are lines all over the place like some sort of <laughs> conspiratorial nonsense yes so snow too many people and wow there are way too many scenes and way too many soap opera scenes in this episode
1: yeah i mean there's the whole kind of forgery authenticity debate that's going on with more than one document and because of that there's a lot of like who's got it who's checking it out who's gonna buy it who has it now who wants it back. And because that happens with more than one document, it's kind of like it, it hippity hops around quite Which a bit. Which is
0: enough for one episode. Yeah. Throw on top of that a wedding happening, three murders, a new a one uh like Joe and Valerie who is a major no character. Their marriage is ending. Noah finds his lost son. Hedge is his lost son, who's actually married to the woman who died, who has a brand new daughter. Like, there's just so much there's a lot. stuff in this episode. And on top of it, Lucifer hanging out in the background.
1: <laughs> and by Lucifer, you're talking about the character called Lee Smeaton, who's played by Tom Ellis who goes on to play Lucifer.
0: Yes, like a, a long-running U.S. television series where he plays the devil.
1: Yes, but there are lots of awesome actors in this episode.
0: Yes, there are.
1: So quick recap. If you didn't watch it recently, like you should, before you listen, just to kind of stay yep. current, if you didn't, this is um, Midsummer Rhapsody is the episode where the, the whole thing is about Joan Alder, who's been dead for like 20 years And who's entitled to her money and who really wrote her famous song called Midsummer Rhapsody.
0: And the inciting incident is two things. One, uh, her mother is getting married to another man Mm -hmm. who they seem very happy.
1: Yeah. Charlie's great.
0: Charlie's fantastic.
1: They live in the old folks home together and they're getting married.
0: Yep. Two, they're opening a living museum. Yes. Yes. I have, lots of, to I have Joan. lots of questions about that living museum.
1: Right. But that's brought a lot of things up to the surface because there's all this hullabaloo about Joan Alder in Badger's Drift, where she's from.
0: And the third inciting incident to me is Arthur Leggett, who is the first guy to die, figures out that Hedge is Watson. I mean, Hedge is Actually, John Farrow. John Farrow. Who
1: everybody thinks is dead.
0: Yes. Played by the guy who played Watson. David Burke. Yes. Now, was he the the stupid Watson or the girl crazy Watson? I don't know. Okay.
1: He's the Watson <laughs> that I remember. David Burke played Watson with Jer- to Jeremy Brett's Sherlock Holmes. Yes. Yeah.
0: But he's not the Watson that appears in the Poirot or the bodies in the- No. In the- No. Pool.
1: and while we're talking about david burke he's also in another episode of midsummer which is the village that rose from the dead that's a 2016
0: episode that's the one where the village uh the guy gets run over by the tank right the slow moving tank The
1: steamroller i think thing yeah
0: something yes that yeah. one yeah
1: first off we're in badger's drift Okay, and we see a really clear sign of the name of the town, Badgers Drift.
0: Yes, there's no apostrophe. There's no apostrophe. So the name this of is... this
1: village is a statement about badgers but,
0: and what they do. They drift. Drift is <laughs> not a noun. It's a verb.
1: Like Tokyo Drift. Now I just got this this image of badgers racing and like gliding around corners. They, they come around
0: the corner to go over the bridge. and yeah. they're <laughs> But go go past that stop sign.
1: Badgers are hard ass. I bet you they could drift if they wanted to. I'm
0: sure they could. And if they
1: did, there'd be nobody to stop them.
0: Oh, good Lord. It's a statement. My first comment, cold opening CGI snow. Yes. Right away. (laughs) (laughs) It's just horrid.
1: So Arthur, the oldest man living with a ponytail, leaves the um, nursing home where he's living to go back to his home, which is about to be auctioned off with all of the money going to the Joan Alder Museum. Yep. So he's, he's raising money. He's a well-known person in the village. He's been a schoolteacher there. Lots of people love him. He goes back to his house looking for a manuscript. He gets bonked on the head, and he dies.
0: Yes. death Before one. he leaves, like, like, this is really every minute summer episode included in itself, because this is blue herring.
1: Yeah, right? yeah. You see so, Charlie sneak out of Peggy's room in his boxer shorts.
0: Charlie's Moobs. (laughs) (laughs) All capital letters. Charlie's Moobs in the cold open. So you have something to talk about with Charlie, though.
1: Oh, with Charlie? Yeah. Well, he's played by Trevor Peacock.
0: Which is a great name. It's an
1: awesome name. And he, I mean, he's an actor forever, right? He's been in all kinds of things. He was, um, he played old Bailey in the Neverwhere TV movie. So if you like Neil Gaiman and you've seen that. Um, he was old Bailey. Um, most recently he's best known for being in the Vicar of Dibley with James Fleet, who played Anselm in the, in the relish episode. episode. Yeah. yeah. But early in his career, he was more of a musician. Yes. And he actually had his own band and recorded under the name Jack Adam. A-T-O-M. Like Jack he was atomic. Atom. Yeah. It's a great Atom. name. Like Trevor Peacock isn't good enough. He's yep. gotta be Jack Adam. Atom. Um, but he wrote Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, which was recorded in the 60s by Herman's Hermits. Yep. Mrs. Brown, you've got a lovely daughter. Yes. Yeah, that song. He wrote that.
0: Oh, cool. So he knows all about royalties, I'm sure. Uh, later on, he plays the piano. He's actually playing. Mm-hmm. As a musician, I'm always, like, interested. It, oh, there's an episode coming up. I forget what it is. But somebody plays guitar, and they... They do not play guitar.
1: So you think that Trevor Peacock can play piano, but do you think David Burke can play violin? Because they play together.
0: I think so. I think so.
1: If he can't, he, they coached him really well. Because it's convincing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's
0: all about this song, Midsummer Rhapsody.
1: Well, yeah, because that's what they're playing. That's what the whole episode is about. So the
0: whole idea is that Jane Alder... Joan. Joan Alder wrote this song, became really super hyper famous, went nutsy bobo with her new husband, Michael, not her old husband, Hedge, who's really John.
1: It might have been related to the drugs that she started to do when she was in South America with John before he got kidnapped by the drug dealers.
0: All in that same episode. (laughs) 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 And it makes all this money. Yes, and somehow Joyce knows all these people and have never mentioned them before.
1: No, Joyce and Tom both know everybody in this episode.
0: Everyone in this episode.
1: I almost think that. Well, you know why they know Arthur. Arthur was a school teacher for forever, right? Yes. So and if, I think if,
0: maybe Cully took music lessons. With well,
1: them. if Joyce and Tom grew up there, they may have too. Yeah, he's he's old enough that they, yeah. he could have been there. Well, Tom plays
0: guitar and. The actor plays guitar. That's
1: why he's got long fingernails. Yes. If his fingernails bug you, it's because he grows them out on one hand to play guitar. And Joyce even has a photo of a class with Arthur sitting down in front. Yes. She puts it back on the mantle. Did you notice what else was on the mantle? No. A picture of her... Oh, As yeah. a schoolgirl,
0: Her, that young picture that shows up in IMDb. You're yeah. right. I did notice yeah. that.
1: And Charlie Her, and Peggy's wedding invitation. That's how I know they're getting married on the 5th. Because oh, it's sitting right there okay. where she puts the
0: photo back down. Excellent. If they didn't RSVP, we don't know. So you should call them.
1: Don't you think I have enough to do? I feel so sorry for Melody. Melody. Is Melody. It's older sister. Valerie.
0: Laura. The three of them get treated like crap in this whole episode. I don't episode. like
1: Laura. I don't care about her getting treated bad. Arthur's skull gets cracked like an egg.
0: Cracked like an egg. George
1: is in fine form this whole episode. Wow.
0: Yep. Cracked like an egg.
1: When Tom and Scott first go to the Cedars, which is the retirement home where Peggy and Charlie live, Peggy's singing in the common room. Yes. And Scott says, who's Vera Lynn? Yes. Do you know who Vera Lynn is?
0: She's a singer from the World War II period.
1: Yes. She's still alive. What? She's 103.
0: Vera Lynn is still alive. Yes. That, uh, no.
1: Now, June Whitfield, who played Peggy Alder, isn't. But and Vera Lynn is. Noah
0: Farrow isn't.
1: No. Even the actor who played him, yeah. Frank Middlemas.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but, okay. So I've got a theory in this episode that I haven't talked to you about. Okay.
0: That, Lay it on me. That
1: this is the episode where both Collie and Scott's brains get get swapped out for old people brains, or they're time travelers.
0: Okay, because earlier Scott says that his mom listened to Joan Alder. Right. So he should not know who Vera Lynn is.
1: No way! Vera Lynn is way before his time. Yeah. Way, way before his time. And he just throws it out like, oh, who's Vera Lynn? Like, who are you, Scott? <laughs> Guy who grew up in the tough inner city. You know? Works in the gritty downtown streets as a cop. You know, Vera Lynn is a singer best known for World War II songs?
0: I, the for entertaining
1: one, the troops?
0: The one redeeming feature of this episode in terms of Scott is he doesn't try to put the boobs on Sarah.
1: No, thank
0: goodness. If it had been any other episode, he would have.
1: Yeah, but she's too ruffled. Yes. She's got too many ruffles on. For Scott. Way too many. Because she can't wear anything that doesn't have a whole bunch of ruffles and on it.
0: Jewelry dangling. And a shit. shawl. Yeah.
1: Or a blanket or something. Oh, something. I don't know what's going on with that. This, so the reason why I think he and Cully both <sighs> have had their drain, their brains transplanted with old people's brains.
0: Okay. Is Cully is in this episode 30 seconds?
1: Why? Is she living in a room now that Joyce has redecorated it? I don't know. With the new carpet? I guess. <laughs> Did Joyce redecorate it because Cully was coming back home to live?
0: Cully is in the episode for
1: 30 seconds. She's chopping vegetables. Yes. No, she's cutting bread yes. for half of it. Anyway, she says that Laura Craw- Crawford, who was Joan's agent and lover. And
0: lover. Did you, did you mention lover? lover. Every scene they're in that she's in, lover.
1: <laughs> she says that the reason why Laura introduced Sarah who is Joan's long lost daughter in the middle of the grand opening of the living museum is because she likes the dramatic, right? She likes to make trouble. Yep. And she says she likes to light the blue touch paper. Yes. Now, do you know what that is? No idea. That's a reference to instructions from fireworks from the 1890s to the 1950s. Okay. They said things like light the blue touch paper and retire.
0: Which means run away. And Cully knows this how?
1: Because she's a time-traveling old person like Scott. He's listening to Vera Lynn, and she's reading firework instructions from 100 years before she was born. (laughs) It's weird.
0: Oh, It's a strange episode.
1: It's like they gave them other people's lines, old people's lines.
0: There are so many scenes in this episode where there's like four lines. And then that's it. And then, a, then they cut away. Well, there's a whole scene with Noah Pharaoh just crying. <laughs>
1: <laughs> we'll talk about Noah in a minute. Okay. Okay. So this, we've already said, and it's clear, this, ob, this episode is all about this song. That's the kind of like hub in the middle of the wheel, right?
0: We'll get to the murders, by the way.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we've already talked about Arthur's. He's done and dusted already. Ponytailed down. Um.
0: Oh, yeah. Bad Ponytail.
1: That everybody is infatuated with this song. Yes. Enough that people are legitimately excited about a living museum and they are, uh, you know, they all have cassette tapes of the song and yes. it's a big deal. And I was trying to. Re- they have the
0: world's oldest tape players, by the way. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, at least I don't have a cassette player anymore. Do you?
0: No. But they're like those cassette players. Not like a boombox cassette player, no,
1: like a recorder. Yeah, like you would use to dictate into. Yes, back in the old days. Anyhow, I was trying to think. Like, can I think of any songs that are not pop songs? Because this is an instrumental song. It's
0: there's, classical music. There's no singer. Yeah,
1: it's not a folk song or anything.
0: No, it should be.
1: I couldn't think of she any. Went to songs. South
0: America and did drugs. <laughs>
1: that are as well-known as Midsummer Rhapsody is supposed to be and as associated with the person who wrote it rather than recorded it. Because we don't even know what instrument Joan played. Apparently piano, a little, at least. But, I mean, I I don't know. She wasn't a member of an orchestra or something. And yet she is so closely associated with this song that she wrote that the implication that maybe she didn't write it alone is dramatic. It's a big deal.
0: So maybe... Okay. I'm gonna go local here. Okay. Maybe Hoagie Carmichael.
1: If we were to find out that Hoagie Carmichael didn't write his own songs, yeah. That would be pretty dramatic.
0: No, so only Ho- if
1: he plagiarized
0: them. So if he Ho- had a
1: co writer, I don't think anybody would care.
0: Hoagie Carmichael, did he grow up in Bloomington? I don't know. He spent some time here.
1: All I know is there's no, a lot no. of statues he, to him.
0: He did grow up because remember his childhood home burnt down.
1: Okay. I get him confused because a bunch of college
0: students lived in it.
1: Yeah, they burnt the roof off of it. Yeah. The closest thing I could think of was Gershwin.
0: Maybe, yeah. Because, like Rhapsody,
1: Rhapsody in Blue is Gershwin.
0: Yeah.
1: And if we were to find out that he had collaborated with anybody but maybe his brother on that song and it claimed credit, I think people would be like, wait a minute. Now I got to wonder about everything that he, I mean, did, did he not write American in Paris? But even that, like, if he had a collaborator, I don't think anybody would mind. It wouldn't be a big deal.
0: And she was like, drug taken, going to South America, beatnik, love hippie child, writing the classical music. It was weird. It's weird.
1: It's not, the song does not match her.
0: No, it doesn't match her at all.
1: She should be a Joan Baez type person.
0: If it was the Ballad of Midsummer County, like the other episode, (laughs) I'd buy that. I think Ballad of Midsummer County is a redo of this episode anyway.
1: Like an improved version of the storyline. So not only are people crazy about her and about her song, there's enough interest in her that a living museum is being put together. So they have repurchased her childhood home, which Peggy lived in. And they're refurbishing it to look as it did when she was little.
0: Okay, not they. Owen. Owen.
1: And Alan.
0: And Alan. Where does Owen live? Does he live in the museum? Because if he does, that's creepy.
1: He's creepy.
0: The whole thing about him is creepy. The picture in the magazine is pursed lips creepiness. (laughs) Oh my God, he's horrible. He is so
1: into Joan Alder that he's like dedicated his life.
0: But there's no story of him hearing Rhapsody for the first time or meeting Joan. No. Or working with Joan. For some reason, he's Joan crazy.
1: Now, Alan, who works with him on the museum, I understand because Alan Thorpe is Joan's brother in law. Yes. Right? Yeah. And. Come to find out, he's totally infatuated with her, right? But he knew her. Everybody knows he knew her. Maybe not as well as he knew her. Um, he's the, I, you he's see, the I killer, don't believe by the way.
0: any of the hit, that crap he says at the end.
1: No, I don't either, because everybody would know. If they were that close, everybody would know. And I don't think... And Melody says that she didn't know he was infatuated with her sister until after they were married. And if they had been going out and were that close, she would have known at the time. Exactly. So... But Alan, I see, it's his family. So if he's dedicated to the museum, all right, I see it. But Owen, he's just nuts. He's just infatuated. Yep. So there's that going on.
0: He's infatuated, and he also has the instincts and the intention of a spaniel because somebody throws something in the water off the bridge, and he has to lean right over the bridge to go, What's that in the water?
1: Oh, he threw it. It was his beer bottle. He threw it. Then why is he leaning over the bridge? To watch it go away?
0: Never mind the fact that getting thrown over that bridge, he wouldn't have died.
1: I don't know. He was really, really drunk, and it's really cold, Ah, and it's not very deep. I I don't think he would have died. I'm going to go with it. But Joe Smeaton says that... uh, Owen yeah. would sell his, his sell his soul for a pair of dead woman's underwear. Yeah, and I think that's a good summary of who yep. he is. I
0: would agree. That's how infatuated he is with Joan. Joe Smeaton, a character that we haven't mentioned yet, who appears in like five scenes. All he wants is to be paid his money. That's all he wants, and his wife is now with Michael, who is Joan's ex husband who put her in the asylum. Her and, widower. Yes,
1: who she wasn't really married to, Because she was she already married, married to
0: John. She, The hedge. Who's John?
1: I'm so sorry, guys. It's impossible. Let's talk about a couple of themes. All right? Okay. Let's talk about why the hell isn't everybody freaked out at Sarah? Okay. okay? So
0: tell us this thing about Sarah. Because you came to me with this thing about Sarah. And I was like, yeah, I noticed that too. So
1: when when we see the museum for the first time... The camera pans across a bookshelf and I saw photos on the bookshelf and I paused and I'm like, wait a minute, those are
0: pictures of Sarah. How could there be pictures of Sarah when she hasn't been introduced as Joan Alder's daughter yet?
1: Right. And then when they go to Laura Crawford's house, her house is full of pictures of Sarah. Yes. So those are supposed to be pictures of Joan. Yes. But they are pictures of Kate Fleetwood, who is the actress who plays Sarah.
0: Yes. Now, is she any relation to Mick? No. Okay.
1: So we are supposed to believe that she looks so much like her mother that they can take pictures of her and pass them off as Joan basically. Yeah. And if they look that much alike, why isn't half why, why aren't half the people in the town screaming? Well now. That there's a dead woman walking around.
0: <laughs> Hedge does kind of freak out and almost die when he sees her the first time
1: because they look so much alike. Yeah. But her grandmother doesn't?
0: No, her grandmother doesn't.
1: I mean, if I was Peggy, I would have been screaming. Uh, Like you would know right away when she walked in. Like, oh my God, it's Joan. I thought you were dead. How are you so young? (laughs) Like they should be freaking out. Yeah. You and I were um, sort of joking around. Kate Fleetwood, who plays Sarah, has a very distinctive face. She has super high cheekbones, very pronounced cheekbones. Yeah and really bright beautiful blue eyes. Yes. Um she just she has an unmistakable face. Yes. And I was curious about whether other people talked about her face. Okay. And I'm not saying she's got a bad face, but there aren't a lot of people with faces that shape.
0: It's unique.
1: It's distinctive. Yes. And so I just googled Kate Fleetwood's face. <laughs> <laughs> right? Because I didn't want to put any judgment on it, nope. right? I didn't nope. want to say, like, Kate Fleetwood's freaky face or anything nope. like that. Nope. And I found quite the interesting site. <laughs> okay. Called, it's called squarejawedwomen.com. <laughs> and it's a site dedicated okay. to women
0: who have square jaws. Sh- should we be linking this in the show notes? Yeah, it's okay. Okay.
1: It has uh, quite the FAQ that explains in like (laughs) medical terms how a square jaw is defined full out with like facial diagrams and like the line of your cheekbone to your ear versus your ear to your mouth and to the point of your chin have to be certain angles. It has to be an oblique angle for it to be considered square. And there are various kinds of square jaws. Like some women have square jaws that are only square at the bottom Versus like Kate Fleetwood's whose square jaw is like from the back of her jawline all the way to the point of her chin, it's square. So that, I guess, is the best kind, apparently, according to this website. (laughs) And it's like a a joyous celebration of beautiful women with square jaws.
0: This this website is created and ran by a very lonely man.
1: (laughs) I don't know who makes it. I mean, it's updated fairly frequently. Demi Moore has a lot on it. (laughs) Because apparently she's like the square jawed icon. <laughs> so uh, I guess I'm plugging this website, but hey, there's there's the Hey, the,
0: if you like square jaw woman, woman, that's where you need to go. That's where you need to go. And there's nothing wrong with you.
1: So I wondered, are there websites for other facial <laughs> shapes? Because I needed to know. <laughs> so I looked up Rectangle-jawed women, no. Circle-jawed women, no. <laughs> there are no blank blankjawedwomen.coms out there except square-jawed women. So if you want to buy some URLs <laughs> <up>, right now <laughs> to celebrate the beauty of oblong-jawed women everywhere, you can start that website. Wow.
0: <laughs> what else have I seen her in?
1: Oh, she's been in lots of things. I, I Once I got to com, <laughs> I stopped researching. I think she's
0: played like a villainous in something I saw recently.
1: She she was in a couple of Harry Potter movies. Yeah. Uh, she, yeah, she's been in a lot of um, period dramas. She's There's a lot of bonnet pictures of her online.
0: Okay. You know, since
1: insensibility squ- kind of stuff. With
0: square jaw.
1: With her <laughs> <squarejogwomen.com>. Wow. Wow. <laughs> It's a love letter to her, really. And the article about her is about how beautiful she is. It's nice. It's not too creepy. I'm not going to say it's not creepy at all, but it's not too creepy. Wouldn't they postpone the auction since Arthur was murdered the night before?
0: Yeah, I think.
1: <laughs> and then wouldn't they postpone There's a lot of things that should be postponed.
0: There there are tons of things that should be postponed.
1: I can't believe they're selling Arthur's Award the day after he gets murdered
0: to get like just because it has a Joan reference on it.
1: hmm And they sell those box files at two bucks a piece. Now I've been to plenty of auctions where people have paid good money for boxes of trash. And I think those boxes would have gone for more than two bucks. Harvey gets off cheap.
0: Yeah. He does.
1: Even if they were just sheet music, they'd be worth two bucks.
0: Yeah, they're nice boxes.
1: Made by the all-in company. They're called all in boxes, by the way. Okay. They have a spring clamp that keeps everything in. Oh. Nice, huh? Nice. Yeah.
0: Scott has to go through it all.
1: Squarejawedwomen.com.
0: <laughs> okay. I have a note here. I don't know why I have this note. I keep calling yeah. Hedge, Darth Hedge.
1: <laughs> I don't know either. You could call him Watson Hedge if you want to do.
0: <laughs> I have a note. Is Darth Hedge dead? <laughs>
1: Why what, did him? When Sweeten him? runs over him? Yeah. I don't know. Is he heavy breathing at the window or something? Yes, he's heavy breathing <laughs> at the window. So he's
0: Darth Hedge. That's right. He's heavy breathing.
1: It's cold and he's fogging up the window <sighs> in front of him. <sighs> is
0: that my daughter? <laughs> <laughs> and the Midsummer Rhapsody that they play in there is weird. Yeah. It's a strange song. The
1: pictures at Laura's house of Joan, Sarah, yes. are humongous. Yes. She's been dead 20 years, and this woman is not moving on. No. None of these people is moving on. No. Melody. Melody has moved on. Poor Melody. (sighs) Melody, Her older sister.
0: Melody and and her weird fringe are on. I
1: feel nothing but sympathy for her. She's like, Mom, I'm here. Mom. uh, Yeah. And Peggy's like, Whatever, Joan, 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 Joan. Like mom, I'm here.
0: Yes. <laughs> or woman? They could have done a whole episode that was just mom and her new marriage, okay? The daughter and the killer son-in-law, okay? Mhm. And never mentioned Hedge or Harvey or even Michael. Michael Mabry or Valerie or Noah, that whole side could have, the whole side of this page could have (laughs) not been in the episode. Sweet Jesus. Wow.
1: (laughs) So Harvey buys the box files, finds the manuscript, (laughs) thinks it's real, tries to sell it to Owen. Owen tries to buy it, but doesn't have all the money. So he just gives him a down payment. And then John, of course, sells the letter so he can take Sarah out to dinner. And then they have the letter and the manuscript to compare, and they realize that it's a forgery. And now Owen has spent all this money on a forgery. So he gets super, super drunk. And then he gets pushed off a bridge and dies.
0: Yes. In the meantime, Noah is mean to the police,
1: sixes dogs on them.
0: Common slut. Is that the first time that we heard slut? I I think so. I think so. He's so reprehensible in the first scene. And then he becomes a big softy.
1: But we talked about this. I think he is Scrooge. Yes. Like he is reprehensible. And then he completely transforms.
0: Well, he has a logical epiphany. That's why he cries. Yeah. Okay. Because he has a logical epiphany because Barnaby knew that. He had turned his back on his son. Yeah. And the only people who knew that were Noah and his son and the people in South America. Right. And so. And Sarah. He has a lot. I mean, Joan. He has a logical epiphany that something with his son is not what he believes. Right. And that's why he cries in the forest.
1: And he's realized that everybody knows he turned his back on his son. Yes. Now, what we haven't mentioned yet is that he has a very good reason to hate the Alders.
0: The best reason.
1: So, way back when, when John was little, John's mom, yep. Noah's hu- Noah's wife, who, ran off. Who doesn't
0: even get a name.
1: No, ran off with Peggy Alder's husband. So, Joan's dad ran off with John's mom.
0: Yes, and then Joan and John got together. Years later.
1: Years later. They're not related. (laughs) They're not related.
0: It's not badger's drift that way.
1: No, I had to do the math to make sure that was true. Yeah. I had to draw a family tree. But Noah has every reason to hate that entire family because they cost him his wife and his son. Yeah. Because he blames Joan for John. Yes. Because he forbid them to be together. So they ran off together and he blames Joan for that. Yeah. So that family took away his family.
0: I love how it's completely glossed over that Hedge was a drug dealer involved with bad people in South America. And he comes back and he's just, you know, in his caravan.
1: He was wheeling and dealing in South America, undercutting his dealer. And so they kidnapped him and held him for ransom. Yeah. But then he got away.
0: So as you get older, you get nicer.
1: I I don't know. I mean, there are probably lots of hippies in the 60s who... I guess. Sold drugs and wouldn't do it now, though it would have been the 80s in
0: yes, reality. In reality.
1: And drug dealing in the 80s was quite different. Yes. Especially in South America.
0: Yes. hmm So strange.
1: <laughs> it's just one of the many strange things.
0: Okay. So Owen's death, he goes over the bridge into the freezing water, gripping onto the bridge. They find him downstream later.
1: And George investigates his death all by
0: himself. All on his little lonesome.
1: There's no, none of the blue suit brigade is there. It's nope,
0: just George. Just George. Not only is he. And inve- George has memorized current tables and things like that. Yes.
1: Not only is he dealing with Owen's body all by himself, but he has become a handwriting expert while we weren't looking.
0: And a paper expert. Yes. And a musical notation expert. Yes.
1: George is accomplished.
0: He is Extremely accomplished. I've
1: always thought George was pretty darn smart. Yeah, but this is kind of pushing. This it. This is
0: George at his masterfulness.
1: <laughs> his most masterfulness.
0: Yes, Sarah has a nice car.
1: Not as nice as
0: Noah's car. Well, of course not. Noah's, Noah's got a Rolls convertible. Yes, he has a very nice car. But
1: I'm, I'm just going to throw this out to listeners because I'm utterly confused about the time. At one point, they say that Joan died 20 years ago. We're not going to argue over a 20-year-old case. But then John says he came back to Badger's Drift 15 years too late, Yeah, meaning that uh, that Joan had been dead for 15 years, which means he's been in Badger's Drift for five years. But then John uh, Barnaby tells Noah, your son has been living five miles away from you for 15 years. Yeah. So I don't know how long Joan has been dead.
0: If you're writing an episode like this, you need to have a timeline.
1: You got to have a timeline. Never mind that if the characters are the same age as the actors playing them, Noah is 86. Yeah. Uh, Frank Middlemas is 86 when he films this episode. And David Burke, who plays John Farrow, is 71. I think Noah's a little fancy to be having kids when he's 15.
0: Have I mentioned that... Lucifer is in this episode. <laughs> Never mind the fact that Lucifer works for everybody.
1: Well, yeah, because his dad doesn't do any of the work. He shows up at like six different places doing five different jobs. No, you want to talk about Lucifer. I got evil for you. Okay. Laura Crawford. Laura Crawford is played by Claire Higgins. Yeah. Who is the bad guy in Hellraiser 2.
0: Yes, she is.
1: She ugh. <laughs> There's a uh, there's a scene. It's hard for me to describe. She's
0: in the first one. She's naked in the first one.
1: Oh, but in the second one, she's the wife of the bad guy yep. who's now like a cenobite, like yeah. he's he's skinless and she sucks on his fingers.
0: Cenobite fingers?
1: Skinless fingers. He looks like an anatomical model of a muscles.
0: Is that when he's being rebuilt? Yes. That's the first one. And
1: he's all bloody and gory. That's the first and one. And she takes his hand and puts his yeah. fingers in her mouth. Yeah.
0: Ah! She's in the first one.
1: Claire Higgins, how could you do that?
0: And, and she's not his wife.
1: She's Cotton. Her last name's Cotton, which is the same.
0: It's her name's the same because she's married to his brother.
1: Oh, okay. Okay. Just sister-in-law. Anyway. <laughs> wow. That's nasty. And, <sighs> and Hellraiser 2, she's... Uh, I, we've got a picture anyway. <laughs> Let's talk about June Whitfield for a second. Okay. Because she makes me happy. The,
0: the, the, I, I wonder if Charlie and Peggy are not in this episode just to make us happy.
1: I know. Because they're so cute. They're very cute. So June Whitfield, who plays Peggy. Yeah. She's born in 1925. Wow. She had a long career. She didn't die until 2018 when she was 93 years old. Wow.
0: If it's not you, like Vera Lynn.
1: You might remember last week, I said that one of the actors in last week's episode was one of two actors who had been in Benny Hill. Yes. June Whitfield is the other one. Oh. And what? she was fantastic in Benny Hill. She is so funny. We'll link to a video as highlights of her in Benny
0: Hill. Okay.
1: Oh my gosh. She had physical humor down pat. She's so good. Yeah. But then, of course, she's. To my generation, anyway, she's best known as the mother on AbFab. Yes. And she is hilarious. Yes. She acts all dotty and doesn't know what's going on. And she
0: is so funny. Between Charlie and Peggy, two of the best comic actors in England, they barely tell a joke between the two of them.
1: Yeah. Charlie's a little funny just because he's a jolly person, but she's not funny at all.
0: Speaking of Square Jaws, maybe he needs to be on that website.
1: It's squared-jawed women. Oh, sorry. But in looking into them and their acting history, so between June Whitfield and Trevor Peacock and Frank Middlemas and David Burke, we've got this group of older actors, Yes, right, who are all in their 70s and 80s when they filmed this episode. Yes. I was like, wow, they've been in a lot of things. And I started to notice that they'd been in a lot of things together. Yes. And I used to think, like, the... The Rosetta Stone, the thing that everybody had in common who had been in Midsummer was like Coronation Street or the Bill or the Bill. Yeah. No, no, it goes back further than that. It
0: goes back further.
1: I found the original, the, the original unifying thing. Okay,
0: and what is that?
1: A show called Z Cars.
0: Z Cars.
1: <laughs> yes, it was on from 1962 to 1978. Okay. Five actors in this episode alone were in Z-Cars.
0: What the hell is Z-Cars? There were
1: 147 actors who were in Midsummer and in Z-Cars. 147.
0: What is this show about? It's a cop show.
1: Wow. It's a cop show. It's just a British cop show. It is the show from which all other shows spin off of. I am convinced of it.
0: It's the nascent show.
1: Yes. It is the the... The protoplasmic. The protoplasmic pool. pool of British actors in crime shows. Z-cars. Z-cars. I've never heard of it. Well, now you have. No, I And haven't. square-jawed women. Yes. See how much I teach you? Yes. <laughs> so, Owen's dead. Arthur's dead. Sarah's got a square face. Noah says Joan was a common slut.
0: So, when they investigate the bridge, okay, we saw Badger's Drift there. Without an apostrophe. Because it's called the Badger's Inn, too. Yes. Which also doesn't have an apostrophe. No. Like, it's the doctor's inn, the badger's inn.
1: No, because the doctor's inn is the doctor is in.
0: I know, I know. I was making a little joke.
1: So it means that there's more than one badger in that pub.
0: Yes. It's, it's where the bad, It's where the badgers go to get their beer.
1: It's oddly situated as a pub. It is at a crossroads with stop signs facing every which way, and they're all white.
0: Those white stop signs, I could not find anywhere. Any They're round, reference too, to aren't them. They? I could not find, like, stop signs are rare in the UK, first of all. Because of all the roundabouts and yeah. everything, right? But those round stop signs, I couldn't find. I, I looked at a website on the history of British signs, <laughs> road signs today. <laughs> And could not find those white stop signs.
1: See what we put ourselves through, listeners, just for you. Yeah. Mark knows all about the history of UK traffic
0: signs now. <laughs> but on the board at Badger's Drift, at, at the Badger's Inn. Okay. The board outside. Because obviously they just took some other inn and put Badger's in front of it. hmm February 3rd, which would be weeks ago, right?
1: Yeah, because March 5th is coming up. So that's like a month old sign.
0: The Dangerous Day in Music Quiz. At 9 p.m. Dangerous, who? Dangerous Dan. Dave Dangerous music quiz. Sorry.
1: Dave Dangerous music quiz. Yes. Who's Dave Dangerous? I don't know.
0: I looked. This is your homework. <laughs> Find, Find Dave, Dave Dangerous. Dave Dangerous's music quiz. Find White Stop Sign. Because I want to play Dave Dangerous's music <laughs> quiz.
1: Is it is he dangerous or is the music quiz dangerous? I don't know. I looked everywhere. Maybe they sick badgers on you if you get questions wrong. <laughs> Since there's so many in there. Can we talk about Harvey now? Please. Okay.
0: Let's talk about Harvey. <laughs> so... <laughs> For a number of machinations, Harvey is on his motorbike.
1: Again. Again. He's so cute on his motorbike with his big mustache.
0: He's got a big mustache. He's got a big kind of collar around his head. He's got a bomber
1: jacket. Little
0: black helmet on.
1: (laughs) He's got a hog, too. He's got a real motorcycle. It's not like a Vespa or something.
0: And he's going along a road at night. And Scott and Barnaby are following and him.
1: honking at him to get his attention, and to, he's ignoring them. In-
0: now, they are three car lengths behind him. There's problems here, okay? And they're watching him along the road, and suddenly his head pops off.
1: <laughs> You're better at making that sound than I am. And then it bounces on their hood, on no! their windshield. Slow down. Okay. <laughs> Slow down. Okay. I'd love to know. We are going other, through the physics wait of a this. I would love to know other people's reaction the first time they saw that scene. Because you're not expecting that to happen. No. No. You're you're looking at the back of his jacket. It's a leather bomber jacket, little black helmet, riding along, riding along. And then all of a sudden his head just goes. Off his head. Off his shoulders.
0: <laughs> okay. This is the conceit. The conceit is there's a wire across the road. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he runs it at the exact right height. hmm Okay. Now, the motorcycle's going forward. I'm going to get physics <laughs> Okay. Are you saying the
1: head would go forward because he was already in motion going forward?
0: No, I would say the head would go backwards, but the head pops (laughs) easily. It goes straight up. Five feet in the air. (laughs) Then we see the head pop up. (laughs) And it goes below his shoulder. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, remember, the car is two car lengths behind. You said three a minute ago. At least two. Okay. Maybe three.
1: Which is enough space for it to bounce on its helmet boing, and come onto their hood.
0: This is what I'm saying. His head would have had to bounce at least once.
1: Yeah, I think it would. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the, the things that helmets provide is like that bounce rather than a they absorb some of that energy and then return it so that your head doesn't. Just smash. What I'm it always reminded of
0: here is at one point in time, I worked in an office and you had those coffee pots that work that you have in an office. And I dropped one of those coffee pots. And I still remember, I see it fall out of my hand and it hit the floor and bounced back Cause up. Cause it
1: was that tempered glass. It was that tempered glass. Yeah. And I grabbed the handle.
0: <laughs> Thankfully, there were two other people there who saw, saw that, <laughs> and that's what his head did: boing, 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 boing. <laughs> I always think
1: of Evil Dead. Yes, and the, ha- the ha- head pops off and lands in Ash's hands, and he's like, ah, ah! you know, like,
0: and then she bites his hand. Yeah. So. Oh, but... uh, So do
1: you not think that that's how it would would actually happen?
0: Uh, They don't show the head bouncing again. Right. That's that's the only problem I have
1: with it. I think one bounce.
0: Yes. One bounce. And then it lands on the hood of the car. And then rolls off to the side. Now, this head prop. Is awesome. It has a mustache. It has his little glasses on.
1: Which would stay on because they are tucked into his helmet. Yes. I looked very closely.
0: (laughs) It also leaves smears (laughs) on the window. Yeah, but like Vaseline-looking smears, not blood smears. Not blood smears. That's the other thing. There would be fountains of blood. Okay,
1: there is. Uh, Scott slips in it.
0: No, no, no. No, no, no. No,
1: wait. He walks into the wire. Yeah. Jumps. It kind of like falls backwards a little bit because of the wire. Then his feet go out from underneath him, and he falls flat on his back in a giant pool of blood. And then his entire back is bloody for one scene. And then it's miraculously clean. His coat, the back of his sleeves, all down his back, down the back of his pants. You can see he's completely bloody on the back. And then, no, he's not. I think
0: they had problems with the sensors, with the blood in this scene.
1: Well, yeah, and I don't think he could like hop into the car... Yeah. With the entire back of himself covered in blood.
0: I think they probably filmed the body on the bike going into the forest two ways. One, the way we see it. And one with a fountain of blood coming off of it.
1: It's dark. So I can understand why we wouldn't see the fountain. When you see his body on the ground, there is quite a bit of blood at the neck. Yes. But he does, Scott does
0: slip in it. So then Scott gets up. And puts his foot out. And rests
1: his foot on the helmet.
0: Yeah. So we
1: get to see the face. Somebody spent so much time on that head.
0: That is Dan Scott's finest moment.
1: Yeah. That we need to see it. And that's when I thought he was going to kick it a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. A little bit of soccer. A little footy going on. A little footy going on. So do you think that would actually happen? That if you hit a wire like that, your head would come off?
0: So you asked me this before, and my problem is the wire is so loose. And then we see Alan kind of holding on it. On the re- recap, Alan is nowhere to be seen. No,
1: no, he's nowhere around. It's definitely wound around trees because yeah. we see Scott trying to help one of the crime scene folks unwrap it.
0: Yes. Why is Scott doing that? Scott would not be touching it.
1: I don't know. But so I wondered if that would actually happen.
0: If, if the wire is tight enough, I believe it could decapitate somebody. If
1: it's strong enough... And it's tight enough, yeah. right? But it doesn't have to be very tight. Okay. It just has to be strong and at the right height. In my long history of unfortunate searches, <clears throat> I now know quite a bit about what something strung across the road can do to somebody on a motorcycle. Oh. And when was this episode made?
0: 2005.
1: I think you could easily argue that there were some murders inspired by it. <laughs> because It's happened. Okay. Now, the first history we have of this being done is actually in World War II in France. Okay. French villagers now, wrapped wire around trees on either side of the road because Nazi motorcycle soldiers would go down those roads and it would take them out.
0: Okay. I'm all for that. We don't it's know Nazis. if they were
1: decapitated, yep. but it did take them out.
0: Is that the Steve McQueen reference?
1: We're getting to that. Okay. Because that's my other evidence that Scott's actually an old man in a young man's body. Okay. Because he says, like Steve McQueen, which is a reference to The Great Escape. Yes. Which is a movie that came out 30 years before he was born. Yes. Maybe Scott's a Steve McQueen fan. Maybe. Maybe. He's a Steve McQueen kind of guy. Anyway, in 2007, in Italy, during a motocross race, somebody strung a wire between two trees and decapitated somebody in front of a crowd.
0: Oh. Is there a YouTube video for that?
1: No, but there are photos.
0: Luckily he was up or back.
1: It was it's on the ground. The helmet's on the ground. Okay. I didn't look very closely. Okay. I'm scarred enough by my searches for this show. In 2014, somebody in the UK town of Totten. Tottenham. No, just Totten. Just Totten. T-O-T-T-O-N. Totten. Was putting strong string across roads in the village. Luckily, it didn't get anybody, but they never caught who was doing it. But this was like um, waxed string. Like uh, you can almost think of like clothesline, kind of. Tight. Tight stuff. Like four or five places somebody did it over like a few weeks of time. And fortunately, nobody ran into it. In 2017, a guy in San Bernardino was beheaded by line across a road. But that was a power line. So a car lost control, hit a power line. It made the um, pole fall, which pulled the power line across the street. And somebody behind them on a motorcycle then hit that wire and it cut his head off.
0: Wow, that can't be a clean cut.
1: That's a bad accident. And that's a big wire. That's a big wire. And it would not have been tight. No. It would have been loose, but it was big, so it wouldn't snap. If you're going fast enough, it'll happen. There's another motorcyclist who was almost beheaded and had to get like 25 stitches across the front of his throat because it almost took his head off. So that would absolutely work. You could absolutely kill somebody that way. But his head would not go straight up. No. (laughs) It would go back. It would not go straight up. But it's more fun if it goes straight up like Harvey's
0: did. It is fantastic.
1: It's just incredible that that could happen. And it was just so unexpected.
0: (laughs) Is this the first beheading since the priest? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Also in Badger's Drift. In Badger's
1: Drift, yeah. The minister was not a priest because he had a wife. Yes. So we have this weird kind of like, I thought you were dead. You're not dead. We're related. I didn't even know you existed kind of stuff going on. It's very complicated in the family. And then, of course, we have a wedding.
0: That Tom can't go to.
1: Of course not. Because he's in a mourning coat. He's supposed to be in the wedding, apparently. And he
0: foretells Cully's wedding here. He
1: does. That's what my note says. Foreshadowing of Cully's no-nonsense wedding. Not. Yes. Yes. <laughs> As you will
0: come to find, Cully's wedding is full of interesting drama.
1: drama. Yes. Um, and... It's a beautiful wedding. It's in a church and all that good stuff. And so all the women have their big hats on. Yes. So I wanted to know, and I've wondered this before, why is it in the UK that women get the crazy hats out for weddings?
0: The first time I knew, knew about this was four weddings and a funeral.
1: And royal weddings have always yeah. been a place, right? And yeah. in the US, it's like the Kentucky Derby. Yes. Is where women wear their outrageous hats. Yes. It started out just because women covered their hair at weddings. Okay. And it was a royal thing. Okay. Like women covered their hair, especially in church. And so a hat, you know, it went from a wimple to a bonnet to a hat. And then it doesn't really matter if it really covers your hair, but your head should be covered. And then it kind of becomes a fashion thing. And it's still around because the royals are so into hats at weddings so that they kind of maintain their tradition and it kind of trickles down from there. Okay. And apparently it's such a thing that if you're getting married in the UK and you're a fancy person, your invitation might even say whether hats are required or not.
0: Oh, required.
1: Well, which means encouraged. Yes. Right? It means, yes, you can wear your hat. So I looked into this um, and found on, you know, Country Life magazine. Yeah. The famous Ponzi UK magazine. They've got five rules about hats at weddings. Okay.
0: Lay them on me. Are you
1: ready? First of all, you have to wear one. Yes. Because you should wear a hat whenever you have an opportunity, and a wedding is an opportunity to wear a hat, so you better wear one. Yep. The bigger, the better.
0: Bigger, the better. Okay.
1: Fascinators are a wimpy cop-out.
0: Fascinate? What the hell is a fascinator?
1: Okay. So a fascinator is like a super tiny hat, right? Like you might remember them from like maybe the forties, like they'd be pinned to the side of your hairdo and maybe they'd have some feathers, but they're in no way a head covering. No. Right. They're like a symbolic hat. Yes. Like a gesture to a hat. Yes. So country life says fascinators may be cute, but they're not hats. So step up and wear a big hat.
0: I got to agree with them there.
1: Um, that you should plan very carefully and actually buying a hat that clashes with the outfit that you're going to wear may be good.
0: Okay. It might be
1: better if your hat really doesn't match your outfit. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, the back of the hat is just as important as the front because after all, most people are going to see you from the back.
0: Yeah, I agree with that.
1: And that most importantly, you should learn the art of hat kissing.
0: Hat kissing.
1: Yes. So traditionally women wear their hat tipped to the Right. And if you're wearing a gigantic hat and you're going to kiss somebody on the cheeks, you cannot have your hats collide. Okay. So you should practice kissing, not only uh, um, letting a man kiss you on both cheeks without knocking him out with your hat, but you should practice kissing other women on the cheeks who are also wearing big hats.
0: Wow. This is more complicated than I realized.
1: So then I had this image of two women getting their hats tangled with each other because they're trying (laughs) to give each other kisses and their hats collide and get caught, right? Um, The groom's mother's hat has to be smaller than the bride's mother's
0: hat. That makes sense.
1: And uh, if the bride's mother removes her hat, all other women should remove their hats. Okay. And she's only going to do that maybe after the wedding breakfast is over. But if she does, everybody else has to.
0: Wedding breakfast?
1: Yeah. The reception. Okay. And if you do take your hat off, you should always hold it bottom to you. Yes. Because you should never reveal the lining of your hat. Never. I could not find out why that was bad. (laughs) Like, why can't people see the inside of your hat? But they can't. That's very bad. Now you know.
0: Tom is breaking in to Alan's house and the nosy neighbor who gets no credit or nothing. No,
1: but you know, it's about time they got caught doing that. Yeah. But I love that Alan has his whole base of operations there in the roll top desk.
0: If you're an evil mastermind, you have to have a base somewhere.
1: I know, but these, these are musical uh, notations that were written, you know, like maybe 40, 50 years ago. And yet he has an entire array of ink and fountain pens and like quills and shit.
0: The scene that we're missing is Melody searching around for a piece of paper and going, oh, I may as well use this thing.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know it's this old like parchment stuff, but I got to make a list on something. So yep. I'll make it on the, on this. But... Yeah, I mean, he's got like an entire counterfeiter's situation going on there, which seems a lot considering most of the notes on the manuscript were actually making pencil.
0: Usually when you rewatch the episode, you're like, oh, I see what they're doing with the killer there. Alan's barely in this episode. And when he is, he's just not there. He's,
1: he doesn't have a whole lot of personality. But, you know, there's nobody else, I think, that would be a better murderer because they want Michael to be a bad guy. He's not. They want
0: no one to be a bad guy. They so much time on Michael being a bad guy. They color his eyebrows so that they look evil. They give him a widow's peak to look evil. No. He might as well be Dracula. That's Oliver Cotton. The the actor's name is
1: Oliver Cotton, and that's just what he looks like. Wow. He looks evil.
0: He might as well play a villain all the time.
1: But he's a very nice guy. I'm
0: sure he is.
1: <laughs> so I always find one weird thing, one crazy thing that somebody has been in who's in the midsummer., yeah. and challenge you, have you seen it? Yes. Are you ready for this week's Have You Seen It? Yes. Has Mark watched this bad movie?
0: Oh, I'm sure I probably have.
1: Frank Middlemas, who plays Noah Farrow, yeah. was in a movie in 1980 with Michael Caine okay. called The Island. Yes. You have seen it. <laughs> of course I've seen the island. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like uh, Lord of the Flies, but with grownups. Yes. But it's not the island of Dr. Moreau. They're pirates. But it was nominated for a Razzle Award for Worst Actor and Worst Screenplay.
0: Oh, it's just horrific.
1: And So, of course, you've seen it. Yes. Because it's really bad. I
0: may have seen it at the theater.
1: In 1980? Yep. Wow, you would have been little.
0: Yeah, I would it, have been 11. It's R. Yeah.
1: Though he does have a son. Michael Caine has a son in the movie that would have been about your age. Yeah. But he doesn't come out very well. He. Gets, yeah,
0: the, the movie poster, I remember seeing it at the theater. It's a hand with a dagger on it, and there's a tattoo on the hand.
1: Ooh, that's hardcore. Yeah. His son gets brainwashed into being a pirate. Oh, excellent. And turns
0: on his father. Yeah. I, I've seen it maybe twice. Yeah. <laughs> I know Frank Middlemass mostly from Barry Lydon.
1: Oh, the Kubrick movie. Yeah. Yeah. Again, these are actors with long histories who've been in tons and tons of things.
0: Yeah. He's in He's in Barry Lydon.
1: So, so yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I, Alan is not convincing to me as a killer. He's no. fairly deluded no. and obsessed. No. But I think that would have come out before now.
0: I would think so. And it's just, it's so weird. But the thing I liked about it is Tom comes to the wedding and he goes and talks to Melody. Yeah. And that's how the episode ends.
1: We we have your husband. It's okay. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We can't help you with your mother, but your husband is awful.
1: In the scene where Scott finds the letter in the back of the photo Mm -hmm. in the museum where Lucifer Lucifer, helps him find it.
0: Lucifer helps him.
1: He walks into the room carrying a yellow tin. Did you see what that yellow tin says? No. It says gay time. Gay time. It's a brand of biscuits. Cookies.
0: It's Lucifer a cook- does or Scott. Scott does.
1: Scott is carrying a yellow tin that says gay time on it. It's a cookie tin. It's a
0: brand of cookies. So ends Scott's last episode.
1: And Clearly they did not know this was going to be his last yes. episode. Charlie Hawkins. They, or they would have done something at the yep. end of the episode. Yep. Like, oh, I guess you're moving on. Instead, like they did with Troy. Instead, in our next episode, we just get, oh, Scott's sick.
0: Forever. Forever. <laughs> it's generally seen that uh, Mr. Hosk- Hopkins went to do more theater.
1: Yeah. He
0: which likes theater. He's
1: done tons of. He
0: likes, so clearly in, in demand. Likes theater. On the stage. And being on a show like Midsummer, a high rated ITV show, he clearly made some bank.
1: Yeah. And it was probably an interesting break from the stage, because yeah. the stage is very, very hard on people. Yeah. It's really tough. Okay, so best corpse? Well. <laughs> Harvey, Harvey, of course. And big kudos to whoever made that head.
0: It's a good head. It looks like Harvey.
1: Yeah, Harvey Crane. It's a, Christopher Benjamin is the actor who plays Harvey, and they definitely took a live cast of his head. Yep. So he... And this would have been before silicone yep. um, life casting. So they would have had to do a plaster cast of his head, which is a very unpleasant situation. You've got to breathe through straws yep. for hours.
0: A super, super good makeup job. Yeah,
1: definitely. Harvey is the best corpse. Uh, what about after the episode? What, after the credits? What do you think?
0: Well, there's so many people to deal with.
1: Peggy oh. and Charlie, happily ever after.
0: Yes. I think her daughter, Melody, probably gets some space.
1: Yeah. Both from
0: her husband and her mother.
1: Melody's probably better off. I think John and Sarah stay close.
0: I think John, Sarah, and Noah stay close. Yeah. I think John probably moves into the big house.
1: Yeah, I can see that. And I don't think Sarah thinks that Michael had anything to do with her mother's death. So they're probably going to kind of close Laura Crawford out. Yeah. Which I think would be a good thing.
0: Sarah cleans up because not only is she. Clearly, Joan's daughter, mm-hmm. and we'll get that estate, mm-hmm. but also Noah's granddaughter, mm-hmm. and get that estate.
1: Well, and if we're right, Joan and Michael's. Marriage was null because she was already married to John, unless they had him declared dead.
0: Yes. And we looked into having somebody declared dead. He would have been missing
1: for seven years and they would have had to have him declared dead in South America. Yes. Where he disappeared. Yes. Which I really doubt they did because I think Noah washed his hands of him. I think so. And just said, he's probably dead. Yeah. So if they didn't declare him dead, then. Joan and Michael were never really married, which means he has no right to her royalties. No. Which means that John and Sarah are going to get the royalties of a quarter of a million dollars a year.
0: I think they're probably nice, though, and probably would say, Michael, you're done, but you don't have to pay us back anything.
1: No, I don't think they would have a case for that.
0: No, no. And then Michael and Valerie live happily ever after. Yeah. Uh, Joe is grumpy.
1: Joe probably keeps drinking and has, did you notice the little frog above his sink?
0: He has a little He frog. has a little
1: froggy in his bathroom on the yep. tile. It's yeah. so cute. Um, yeah, I think he probably drinks himself to death in the back of his truck and Lee takes over the business. So then it's and Lucifer's handyman business.
0: Lucifer's handyman business. <laughs> yeah,
1: Lee Lucifer. Smeaton. <laughs> Smeaton is such a bad last name anyway.
0: Just horrible. <laughs> I don't think the uh, Jane Ald- Joan Alder Museum comes to fruition, because Owen, the prime mover and shaker in it.
1: And Alan. And
0: Alan. Alan's going to prison. Owen's dead.
1: Yeah. I don't know. There's a lot of money tied up in that. I w- the, they the, said the,
0: they were going to open tomorrow, and that place looked like a total mess. Yeah, it wasn't
1: really done. Yeah. Which is why Owen was so upset with Joe, and why Joe was upset with Owen.
0: Maybe Hedge and Sarah take that over.
1: Yeah, I can see that. Maybe. Yeah, it it seems like there's a little bit too much investment in it, and it's too much of a kind of a tourist attraction for Badger's Drift to not finish it. But
0: Badger's Drift, it's gonna
1: be tainted, that's for sure.
0: Can have its own ghost tour.
1: (laughs) It's on bouncing heads ghost tour. (laughs)
0: Now, there is an episode with Ghost Tours. Yes. Goodbye, Dan Scott. We barely knew you.
1: Yeah. That's Midsummer Rhapsody and all of its craziness. Which and that is season eight. Which was done. not as
0: crazy as I thought it was. I was kind of dreading this episode. I don't like the song, but I forgot how bonkers crazy it is.
1: It's good. Yeah. It's a good episode. There's a lot going on, but it's good. Yeah. So that's season eight wrapped up. Yeah. That's Scott wrapped up. Yep. So what do we have for next time?
0: Season nine starts with Ben Jones in uniform. He looks so cute in his uniform. He does. In The House in the Woods, season nine, episode one. That's a nice one. Yep. Next week, guys. The couple from the earlier episode, uh, I forget what they did in an earlier episode. They get killed right at the beginning of this episode. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Because they're house hunting, right? Yep. They get killed in their car. They get garroted. More rot. people getting killed with wires.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Get, a rot. Get a rot. Yep.
1: All right, Maniacs. Until next time. Bye, Maniacs. Bye, Maniacs. This is Alder, you have a lovely daughter who looks just like your granddaughter. Are they the same person? Why is it freaking anyone out? <laughs> you like my new lyrics?
0: I think uh, we have what's going to go at the end of the episode now.
1: Yeah, but you got all my noise there with it. Yeah
0: you want me to sing it again? I don't care about noise at the end of the episode. <laughs> if you've listened to an hour and a half of us cramble, ramble on about Midsummer, then you're probably going to listen through the noise.
1: Mrs. Alder, you have a lovely daughter. It rhymes too. It does. Who looks just like your missing until now granddaughter.
0: With the square face.
1: They have the same face. Why doesn't it freak people out? (laughs) Because it's a freaky face. You're getting married, but someone's forging your dead daughter's papers.
0: Sort of, maybe. Letters. Kind of.
1: Mrs. Alder, you have a lovely daughter. (gasps)